Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is global angelic spirituality. My guest is Norman D. Ellis, who's been interviewed twice before on New Thinking Aloud. She is a spiritualist minister, astrologer, and clairvoyant medium. She is author of 14 books, including Awakening Osiris, The Spiritual Keys to the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and Imagining the World into Existence, an ancient Egyptian manual of consciousness. Her most recent book is The Ancient Tradition of Angels, The Power and Influence of Sacred Messengers. Normandy is located in Frankfurt, Kentucky. Now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Normandy. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. It's really great to be here and to meet you, Emmy. You have explored ancient Egypt, and what got you interested in exploring angels more deeply? I think I was always interested in angels. Um, I grew up around Catholic um, aunts and cousins and so on, and um, was very fascinated with the angels that we would pray to. But I think what mostly got me interested in doing this particular book on angels is that I um, became a minister, a spiritualist minister. And someone asked me one time, what is that? And I said, it's like, well, when you're a reverend in a spiritualist church, you marry them, bury them, and then you bring them back. <laughs> and so we have a garden of prayer that uh, has busts of the major uh, prophets of the religions. And the thing that I realized as I was teaching more and more about this is that angels, a belief in angels is what connects every single religion. And uh, we are a spiritualist or unity of religion. And so I thought there's more to this than just these busts out here in the garden. And so I started to study it. Now, that said, I've also had some angelic encounters that I didn't always quite know what they were. Um, but that led me to want to do a book on angels. Yeah, you mentioned how when you were younger that you started to have visions or experience a connection to God's wife, who you later found to have a connection to Egypt. Yes, yes. Um, she came knocking at our door one time in the middle of a ice storm, and um, I could hear her calling outside. And um, so I went and answered the door, and there she was. And uh, I asked her to come in, and I told my mother, well, we need to make her some coffee. And my mother said, well, who is this? And I said, um, it's God's wife. She calls herself the Ice Queen. And um, later I realized it was Isis uh, as I got older. But mom was all for it. She was like, grew up Catholic. It's like, okay, come on in. She fixes a cup of coffee for the ice queen and begins to ask her questions, which I answer for her because she can't hear the ice queen. So I uh, begin to give her the answers. It was really quite interesting. And I was about six, maybe five or six. So that was my first experience with Isis and the ice queen and, and angels in general. And what did she communicate to you? You know, my mother would say, well, can you see me? And, my, and, you know, Isis would say yes. And she would say, do you know everything about me? And I, Isis, the ice queen, said, of course I do. You know, I know how much your father in heaven loves you. I, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, it was a very comforting and beautiful conversation because my mother was kind of going through a hard time at that time. Mm-hmm. When did you discover that connection that that was ISIS? Probably when I was in college 
and I was translating hieroglyphs. And um, this was a process of looking at the hieroglyphs for a class in translation. And what would happen is that I would study and study and study and look at these copy books and copy things over and then fall asleep on top of them. And then when I woke up, I would hear this voice in my head saying what it meant. And so I would copy it down. And so I guess you would say they were trans-channeled. You know, some people asked me if they were channeled and I denied it for a long time because it took a lot of study to get to that point. But you have to study to get the information in your head so that they can use it, you know, and channel it through you. And of course, there's always the image of Isis as the winged being. She's on my necklace here, you'll see, right here. Isis as the winged being. And um, she appears with her sister, you know, on the Ark of the Covenant. So they're they're leaning over like this and their wings are wrapped around them. And it's Isis and Nephthys, and they are the exact same images as the angels that appear on the Ark of the Covenant. And I made that connection like, oh, well, that's where they came from. The, Egypt, the Egyptians and the uh, Jews lived so close together for such a long period of time. It wasn't always that they had their family disagreement, <laughs> if you will. But, um, yeah, they they incorporated a lot of what they learned in ancient Egypt, including those two angels on the Ark of the Covenant. And what are they doing on the covenant? The same thing, that that uh, box that contains all the sacred things uh, of the Jewish history, they are sitting on top of that box, protecting it. Um, it's not supposed to be opened. And the same image appears in ancient Egypt as these two goddesses uh, protecting the coffin of Osiris. And so that's the connection. That seems to be a theme among many angels is that they are protectors. They are protectors. They, uh, they take care of us. They have three jobs, actually. Angels have three jobs. One of them is, is protection of humanity. Um, another is the uh, moving back and forth, uh, up and down the ladder, uh, if you will. Jacob's ladder uh, from heaven to earth, delivering messages. And the other one is to sing God's praises. And so those are their three main functions. Now, they also have three appearances. They, um, they appear sometimes as humans, like those angels that showed up uh, to Abraham and told him, look, something bad's going down. They they ate like men. You know, Sarah fixed them something to eat. They sat under the tree. And they said to Abraham, something's going down with your cousins in um, Gomorrah and, and Sodom, and we need to get your cousins out of there because God has decided that those folks are not doing what they should do, and God's going to, you know, destroy their city. And so they delivered that message to Abraham, and he said, okay, I'll go with you, and we'll go and get them. So the angels go to, uh, I think it was Gomorrah, where, you know, uh, Lot lived. And, um, yeah, it was very, you know, there was a lot of um, sexual promiscuity and things like that going on. And... Um, None of the people in the city were safe, none of the women. And so Lot had had sort of locked himself inside his, his uh, house. But Lot's wife, I, we don't know her name, I call her Lottie. <laughs> so she would go out and, um, you know, see the people and then come back and, you know, live her life. But she kind of liked it there, you know. Uh, and he had two daughters, I think, that we're with this, you know, Lot and his wife. And so the angels come and say, your whole family, you know, we're going to destroy the city and you need to leave. And um, his wife, of course, did not want to go. 
Uh, and the angels, it was kind of interesting. The angels came in and the people in the city were banging on the door going, who are those beautiful men? Tell them to come out. We would like to see them. You know, and he's like, no, we're not, we're not opening the door. Um, they almost got in and he said, here, I'll give you my daughters. Well, those people banging on the door were not interested in women. They were interested in the beautiful men. So finally they escape. Um, and the angel says, don't look back, you know, have no regrets. When you make a change in your life, that's the basic message. Do not look back. Um, and I've taken this story a lot to my life. When you make a big change, don't look back. You know, it's for your own interest. So they leave and Mrs. Lot looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. So that's one of the stories. They appear as men. You know, they appear almost as mortal men. Now, sometimes angels will come and they'll be of the winged variety, the kind that appear flying in the sky when to announce the birth of Christ. And um, that would, that's usually when you see that, the people are kind of freaked out. They're like, oh, my God, there's men flying in the sky. You know, what in the world is going on? And that's the angels. Okay. And, uh, and they're the winged, beautiful winged ones. And the other angels are the kind of angels that Ezekiel saw in his vision. And they are uh, basically geometric shapes that go winging about the sky. They have eyes on these geometric shapes, and they're quite frightening. Some of them have multiple heads, you know. So the angels can take whatever shape gives the most drama to their appearance. I'll say that. And that we might be able to see or hear based on our right. own current consciousness. Exactly. You share a story in your book about Cokeville and children who claim to have seen angels who saved their lives. There were two people who came to this Mormon community in Cokeville. They decided that they were going to be, a, that the Mormons must be rich and they were going to uh, try to get a million dollars per child. So they were basically going to kill them all unless they were given a million dollars. So they come to the school. And they walk into the school with a shopping cart that's filled with um, explosives of all sorts. And they are, they are uh, sitting in the middle of the schoolroom and the teachers and the students hear a voice that tells them to move over to the side of the room. And so they do, and they stand there, and um, the countdown begins. Um, the police and everybody are around, but there's enough there's enough explosives in that shopping cart to level four or five city blocks. Um, they negotiate for a while. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's going out. Uh, finally, the guy has to go to the bathroom. So he ties the string to the explosives, the, you know, key around his wife's hand, her wrist, while he goes to the bathroom outside the building. And she sits there and the children um, are, are talking out loud. They're conversing with these beings of light. You know, they are either angels or they are, um, some of them are described as with, dark hair, dark curly hair, and another described the person who talked to her as white hair with blue eyes and so on. And so they were described, described by the children who survived to their family members, and the family members kind of recognized that as being, oh, that looks like grandma. Oh, that looks like my aunt so-and-so, my great-aunt so-and-so. Um, but there were also just these beings of light. So what happens while this woman is sitting there tied to the explosives waiting for her husband to come back is her nose itches and she goes like this and pulls the string when she goes like this and it blows now the miracle of it is that when it blows 
The explosives go straight up. They were meant to go out, but they go straight up. Of course, the woman dies immediately. Um, and as explosives go up, these angels, I'll say, come uh, amid the smoke and lead the teachers and the children out of the room. And so later, they're asking, everybody survives except for the woman and her husband. Um, the police are asking them, how did you know where to go? And they said, oh, well, you know, this woman with dark curly hair grabbed my hand and she led me out and I grabbed my brother and sister's hands and out we went. Another one would say, oh, you know, I, this woman with white hair and blue eyes came and said, go this way, go this way. And I followed her. And the people were listening to the kids' descriptions and they started to go back into their family books and realized that these were ancestors of each person who had come for their grandchildren to lead them out. And the other description they gave was that the beings of, of light all stood around in a circle around the um, shopping cart as it was going off. And when it blew, they put their wings out and it blew straight up instead of out, and the angels went up with them. Mm. So that's a really quite an amazing story of the angels and the ancestors. Mm -hmm. Now, after I tell that story, people say, well, when people die, are they angels? And from my understanding of Thomas Aquinas and, and other writers who've written on the topic, is that they say that, Angels and ancestors live on the same plane, but ancestors are not angels. Angels are like a separate being, the same way cats are like a separate being. They're still spiritual beings. They're still beings of light, but they're not the same. The belief in divine messengers is a tenant in every religion around the globe. It is. Yeah. Um, where it began, I have no idea. but. In my book, I start with uh, the three great religions that were begun by Abraham, Judaism and uh, Christianity and uh, Islam. And so those three all have Abraham as their great prophet. And so we talk about that and the connections and the similarities and the dissimilarities between those. And then we ask the question, where did that come from? And we start following a little trek along the trail of religions, along the Silk Road. And that's where the Zoroastrianism comes into it. Um, that's where the Yazidis or Yazadis are part of that uh, Manichaean, um, so a lot of religions that are no longer are, are part of that whole mix. And that Silk Road goes all the way to China and India. Uh, so we include the Buddhists and the Hindus as part of that as well. And though they don't call them angels, they call them devas, um, but they are the same beings who are spiritual in the air, you know, related to uh, divinity. Um, sadly, when people try to denounce those religions, they'll say, oh, those are not angels, they're devils, as in deva and devil being of the same language, but it's not, it's not true. <laughs> they share a lot of similarities with the uh, Christian angels and the Abrahamic tradition. What similarities and differences did you find among these spiritual traditions and cultures? Well, one of the things that uh, was quite interesting is that they ha we have uh, hierarchies of angels that appear in Christian tradition. I'm saying we because I was raised as a Christian. Um, and so the Christian tradition has hierarchies of angels. They exist on nine planes. And they exist on nine planes or seven planes in the Hindu and Buddhist traditions. In the Yazidi tradition, there are seven planes 
of angels that accompany their, I guess we'll call him that their high angel, their divine creator angel, whose name is Toss Melek. And he's a peacock angel. He has all the colors of the earth and, and he, um, oh, he, he's kind of like their, their, um, at their great ancestor. They believe that they are the children of Toss Melek. Now that alone will make some people say that they're devils. <laughs> but, um, my understanding is that we are all, um, part of God's creatures because even in the Bible, God makes the angels and then he makes humans and he says, we have made men, we have made them like us. Okay, so like the angels, like they're divine beings made of light. Okay, and that's, and that's something that you find in every single religion. That the angels, the devas, are divine beings made of light. They may be winged, or they may fly through the air with these scarves that float, you know, um, but they fly through the air. And they are as close to us as thought. That's the other thing that comes up. They are as close to us as thought. Now that, um, the idea of thought being connected to the angels, I like, let me back up. I like this quote by Mary Oliver who says, the only time you'll ever see an angel is if you have one in your mind, then you'll see it. If you believe in them, you'll see it. They are closest thought. Okay. Because they are made of light. And, um, we also, as we're learning now, are made of light. We are beings made of light. Uh, the, electrons and the DNA and the things that move around inside our bodies are these electrical things, sensations. We're living electrical light. And that's what the angels are. They're less form, but they're still living electrical light. And um, the thing about, we're kind of leaping into the end of the book, but the thing about the quanta question is uh, when you're looking at light and you're trying to decide how does it move? What does it do? It moves according to thought. Um, you know, we know about the double slit theory where they shoot lasers through the, through the little slit and try to figure out, try to follow it. When their consciousness is following the light, it's in a straight line. But when it's no longer looking at it, it disperses. So it's like thought is what creates the form. That's what they discovered. And other things that they've discovered about the quality of light um, is if any two things have ever existed together as one thing, if they are separated, they still resonate with each other. Okay, so that's how humans and angels work together. I think it was... Um, Meister Eckhart, who said that the angels are no further away from us than a thought. They could be at the edge of the universe. And yet you think um, you're driving down the road and, and you're thinking, oh, my God, there's a car coming. Help me, Michael. You know, and all of a sudden the car is diverted. You know, it won't happen every time, right? But um, that's kind of how that works. It's the thought that brings the energy to you. Is it the same Michael? Is there only one Michael? No. It's the energy of Michael. And so all of the energies that have Michael's light signature are available to you. It then begs the question of that continuum of consciousness of what are the angels and what are us? Yeah. Well, it does beg the question. And I guess we won't know till, to, until we're living on the astral plane how close we are to them. Mm -hmm. To answer that, I'll tell you about a dream I had. Please, yeah. I had this dream one night that I was up in heaven or wherever the other plane is. And I was standing around this kind of bubbly little cauldron. 
Okay. And there were plates, colored plates of glass floating around on the top of it. And some of them were triangles and some of them were squares and some of them were hexagons and so on. And I was standing around there with all these other light beings. And I recognized that all those other light beings were angels. And we're looking at this, these plates sort of, you know, slowly moving around across the top of the water, almost like if you had dropped oil inside you know, a boiling, you know, pot on the stove, and it just moves around, you know. And, and so I was looking at all the configurations that those plates were making, realizing, as I did so, that these were astrological configurations. Like sometimes they were trines, which is a good aspect. Sometimes they were squares, which is a difficult aspect that has to be overcome. Sometimes they were conjunct, floating over top of each other, sometimes sextiles, um, and so on. And um, so I said, is this, is this someone's chart? And the angel said, yes, we're looking at someone's chart. And I said, oh, this is exciting. I'm helping to make someone's chart, you know? And so I keep looking at these things, and I said, oh, well, that's going to mean this, and this is going to mean that, and oh, that's going to be a difficult thing to overcome. But look, there's all this beauty over here on this other side. And I said to them, this is the most amazing chart. Whoever this is for is going to be so blessed. And one of the angels goes, mm -hmm, jump in. <laughs> and I realized I had been looking at my own astrological chart that the angels and I had created together. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is an incredible story. Yeah, so when I woke up, I thought, oh, that's how it works, you know, and that we are living languages of light. That's what we are. All the things that happen to us, all the, the molecules and, and the, you know, DNA and everything that's moving around inside our bodies is a living language of light. Those angels were helping to prepare the destiny or uh, at least a, a path of the potentialities your life might take. Yes. Yes, they were. And had you been studying astrology at that point, or was that what kind of tipped you into your interest with that subject? Oh, I've been studying astrology for a while. I've been studying astrology for years, but I didn't know that the angels were choreographing it. <laughs> You describe that humans have free will, but angels do not. Is that something you discovered to be consistent among various traditions around the world? I do discover it to be somewhat consistent. Um, and people will ask me, well, why don't angels have free will? And um, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe they did at one time, but if you were an angel and you disobeyed God and, and God cast you out of heaven, you know, your brothers and sisters would go, well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so I think it's kind of along those lines. They probably could revolt if they wanted, but they know what will happen. They, they will leave heaven. They will, they will be as if they had never existed. And so they choose not to. So they don't. Uh, let's just say they don't use any type of will, okay? Um, if you pray to an angel, you know, it's like, angel, please do this for me. The angel can't do it for you. The angel will take the message to God, and God will give the message back to the angel who will give it to you. But the angel, him or her or its self, will not be the one doing the deed. Mm-hmm. Going back to the concept of angels being light, there are reports, like you mentioned in that story previously, of people who see angels as how we see each other physically. Some people will see them as you have in dreams. Uh, some people might hear messages and others might see orbs or, or light. So uh, why such the variety of ways we can perceive them? Because... There are so many ways that we have of perceiving reality. You and I can look at something, the same thing, and not necessarily see the same thing. 
um, having been trained as a clairvoyant, some people who are giving messages are giving what they hear, you know. Some people are seeing symbols and giving messages based on the symbols that they're seeing. Others have physical impressions like, you know, you can feel it on your body. Your This hair on your arms will raise up when you're in the presence of spirit. So there are a lot of different ways, depending upon what kind of antenna we're born with, I think. Again, that story that you shared, I imagine some of our listeners are wondering, well, I pray to angels, and why are some people helped or saved by angels where others may not be? First and foremost, the energy of uh, being saved by angels is or rescued by angels it comes from the divine. Okay, so if you pray to God, like, please don't let me, you know, hit that pole over there. You're talking to God. You're not necessarily talking to an angel, but God will send an angel down to help you. Example, I was driving down the road, and um, I don't know if it's exactly a prayer, but oh, we'll call it that. I'm driving down the road one day on the interstate, and this truck comes by and moves over into my lane and he moves over right on top of me and he pushes me into the median and I can see him coming across my into my lane I can hear him hitting my car I see the the uh, side view mirror go flying off my car and you know there's I'm going into a ditch and I'm and I'm holding on to the steering wheel going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I guess that's a prayer. You know? mm-hmm. Finally, I managed to stop, you know, in the medium without flipping over. I get out of the car and the minute I step my foot down um, on the grass, I find that there is a white feather there. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, I had an angel, you know, that helped me to hang on while I could and then guided me over to a safe spot and left a little signature for me. And it's like, thank you, thank you. Uh There are stories about people who try to use angels. Uh, There's a story about uh, that's told by... um, the, the history of Eliezer ben Judah of Worms, who was a rabbi in, in the mid-centuries, uh, you know, Middle Ages. He, um, he had some students. He was this Jewish rabbi, and he had some students who were studying with him. And they wanted to go over to uh, another side of town to meet some friends who were you know, and it was like in, they had to go through a bad part of the woods. And he said, don't go there. And they said, oh, well, we'll be fine. And he said, well, don't use the angels to try to make yourself safe. You know, and so they said, oh, we won't. So they go over to the other side of town. And sure enough, they're met in the middle of the woods by robbers. And uh, so they invoke the angels to try to keep them from being harmed. And um, the angels so frighten the robbers when they appear that they flee. And um, so they go over to the other side, have their meeting with their friends and come back. And they're all, ha, 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 look what we did. We saved ourselves through the angels. And uh, Eliezer goes, no, that's not what they're for. So they can do it, but that's not what they're for. And you are abusing their power. He said, I want to. I want you to go back to that side of town and use no angels. And they said, okay. So they go back to that side of town and they were murdered. Hmm. So it was like mm, proof. You can't use them for, you know, things that you shouldn't be using them for. So that's basically a story about that. Um, the misuse of the power of angels. I think that's kind of cruel for him to send them back over there yeah. without their protection. Yeah. But it was like, I made a point to the other students, I suppose. And what have you discovered is the 
shall we say, proper use of an angel or angels? Let's start with what's the proper use of prayer. Hmm. Okay, so what's the proper use of prayer? The proper use of prayer is thankfulness, is gratitude. Uh, the story is that the most important prayer that angels ever pray is to stand on the edge of the world in the morning facing east and to sing to raise the energy of the sun up. You know, and so they are praising God. Uh, that is their most important thing is to say, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, you know, and to bless the whole world with the light uh, of their prayers. I think that angels, um, if we would say, what, what are they used for? I think the proper term is that we shouldn't think of them as being used for anything that we should think of them as being uh, there to provide us protection when we need it, guardian angels around my bed. That's, um, uh, that's not saying, you know, keep the devils away. That's because even saying that invokes the devils. So you don't want to say that. You just thank them for being there. You're just thanking them for being there. Okay, that's the proper use of an angel is to thank it for being there and for singing the praises of God. Do you did you read the story about uh Tobit and Tobias? Yes. That angel was simply um meant to accompany a young man on his way to meet his bride. He was he was going to marry this woman who had been given in marriage to him and, and uh, Tobias said, no, 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 no. Uh, no, Tobit said, no, no, I don't want my son to marry this woman because she's been married seven times and she's uh, horrible. All of her husbands have died. She's just a, a black widow and, you know, she's going to kill him and take all my money. And, um, but he said, I'm going to go because I love her. So this angel, Gabriel, walks with um, this boy to meet his wife, and he oversees their marriage. And uh, it's a very happy marriage and very long-lasting marriage. And what he does is he's the angel of healing. He heals the old man, the father, of his beliefs. You know, his he's sort of a... You know, misanthropist or something, and he didn't believe in in the power of people and the good people, um, and so he's kind of a, a misogynist, and so he's healed of being a misogynist by having his son marry this woman and giving him lots and lots of grandchildren, and the young boy is given the gift of uh, a beautiful wife and a beautiful home. And the woman that he marries is healed from this um, accusations of her being a witch and killing her husbands. And the truth is revealed that they were um, they were killed, you know, illnesses and stuff like that. So anyway, he healed three people just by walking with this young boy along the road to marry his beloved. Now, the boy didn't ask for any of it. The father didn't even ask for it, and the girl didn't ask for it, but he made sure that everyone was healed by the power of compassion, acceptance, and love. And that's what an angel should do. Many of us humans are learning that more deeply as we go forward. <laughs> In your studies and research, and I just want to add that your book is your uh, really uh, large excerpt of your dissertation in your doctoral studies of comparative religion. Yeah, it is. I, I wouldn't have written about angels, except for my <laughs> dissertation committee said, you can't write about anything that you've already written about. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I, in other words, you can't write about Egypt. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what am I interested in? And so it, the topic of angels came up. And what have you discovered as far as if they can be quantified or qualified, how many angels there are and types of angels that you have seen across 
spiritual traditions? Well, there's so many angels, you know, uh, they can all, can they all fit on the head of a pin? Yes. You know, I don't think we can possibly figure out how many angels there are. Um, there is a wonderful book, which was one of my go-to uh, encyclopedias of angels and angelology. And that was by a guy named Davidson. And he didn't start out to study the angels. He started out to find out which angels he could use in his poetry, the way that Rilke wrote about angels and could use them. And so he studied every angel he could get his hands on. And yet there are still many, many more. Um, one of the ones, sometimes they just rise up and announce themselves, uh, sometimes by the same name as other angels and sometimes by other names, like uh, Edgar Casey introduced us to an angel named uh, Haliel, and he had been trans-channeling Michael for a long time to his group of students. And they said, well, are there other angels that we can talk to? You know, and, and Michael was always giving them messages of love and protection and, you know, I'm here and, you know, uh, intelligence. He was talking about using your mind and your, the power of your mind. And so they said, are there other angels we can talk to? So Casey goes into a trance and he channels this angel named Heliel. And Heliel uh, talked about the apocalypse. He talked about how the world was coming to an end, how, why it was coming to an end, what people should expect based upon their behavior now. Many of the things that he was talking about are things that are happening right now. But the things that he said so frightened Edgar Casey's group that they said, no, 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 we just want to talk to Michael now. We don't want to talk to Haliel anymore. Um, and so he quit channeling him. But yeah, so he was there. Sometimes the angels' messages to us are not always what we want to hear. Yeah. And it, again, the perennial question, it begs the perennial question of destiny versus free will, you know, what is sort of pre-planned uh, versus what we can have, what we actually have influence over. Exactly. And the angels were not allowed to, uh, supposedly, not allowed to interfere with our free will. Okay, so we we make our decisions and we receive the benefit or the, the stick, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Can we go back to the the peacock angel that seems to oh, yeah. uh that spiritual tradition seems to predate Christianity and many of the other world's religions? Yeah, it does. I think it does. They say that their one of their ancestors is Noah and their community is right at, at the base of Ararat, Mount Ararat. So they say Noah's Ark is right up there. You know, um, and they they are a group of people who are who were I will say were not aren't anymore who were by and large illiterate. They, unlike the Jews or the Christians or even the uh, Muslims, they did not have a religion that was written down that they could pass on. You know, they just. It was word to mouth, um, you know, word of mouth, word to ear is what I meant. And so uh, they also knew that if they wanted to preserve their religion, they wouldn't go around telling people about it. It was theirs. So many people believed that they were devil worshipers. Of course, they're not. But um, but they had a peacock angel. They had a black snake. Oh, the snake got them into so much trouble. They had a black snake that crawled into their sanctuary. And then, so they said, oh, that's a sign of the devil. No, it isn't. But anyway, no animal is, is you know, inherently evil. They said that the peacock angel, before he, he took a life, because he gave life and he took it away, he would go into the sanctuary and dip his sword into a fountain, a pure water fountain. And... um yeah, and so that was 
you know, the cleansing of the fire. Now, these people are the same people that Gurdjieff went to meet on one of his travels, and he watched a young boy being tortured by his, his classmates for being a Yazidi. And uh, so they drew a circle around him, and he could not come out of the circle. He would try to release the circle, and he would be thrown back. Um, and so they, you know, until someone said the right thing and could draw him out. Again, it's belief, right? So they would torture him by what he believed. I, I think that the thing about the Yazidis, they had been living in Lalesh, which is at the base of this mountain of Ararat, for thousands and thousands of years. And if you remember, they were the people that Saddam Hussein and his soldiers were trying to wipe out. Sometimes they would try to protect themselves by claiming that they were uh, Islamic, but they were not. And so they were trying to wipe them out. Uh, they, they kept saying, oh, well, we're closer to the Sufis, you know, and they are somewhat. But um, Sufis are intellectual and these people were not. So they were just slowly raping all the women, killing all the men. And Obak Barama brought helicopters in and airlifted these people out, as many as he could get, who would run for the helicopter and lift them out. He took them to places like Arizona. And so they are now living in the United States and becoming educated, uh, passing their information along to other people. But the information that I got from the book that I studied was a book that was uh, a dissertation by a man named Ahmed who asked all these questions of older Yazidis that he had followed, and it was word of mouth, the answers. And so sometimes they would conflict with what, you know, he was taught. But it's kind of interesting. Is there a theme that you have distilled in your research amongst these uh, world's traditions of angels? Oh, that's a hard question. And I'm just going to go back and say that they're everywhere. What, what I can say is that every single tradition believes that there are emissaries sent to earth to uh, disseminate divine messages from spirit, uh, from the cosmic intelligence, um, you know, whatever his name is, God, Yahweh, Allah. It all comes to us through the actions and the appearance of angels and the telepathy. You know, angels speak to us, but they talk to us telepathically, I believe. And so every religion has that. Um, every tradition has a story of people who try to manipulate the angels to make them do what they want. And that doesn't always end well. Mm. Okay. And there may be differences, to be fair. I was just curious if you found a commonality, because I think so often in our frequently troubled world, we tend to think that there are differences, that there's us and them. But it sounds like you've discovered that there's a pretty strong commonality among these divine messengers. Yes, I think there is a, a strong commonality. And I believe that if we pay attention to what the angels are telling us, they're telling us that the world is built on compassion, that it is not built on um, contention, that it's built on compassion. We see them when we pay attention. We see angels when we pay attention to pay attention to the intention, the divine intention of what we're working with, the energy that we're working with. And so that really is how uh, when people pray and they try to bring angels into a room for protection because they're in a church and, you know, that's intention and attention. That's the combination of those two things. Yeah. And love? And love. <laughs> that's it. That's the main one. 
That's the main one. I think there are dark angels as well, just as there are uh, bright angels. There are dark angels. Dark is not necessarily a, a bad thing. It's a thing that we don't understand. Um, so we would say that the angels of death, the angels of death, and there are a number of them in the many traditions, um, we tend to think of them as being dark beings, but they're not bad beings. They're necessary beings. And um, I think that uh, there's some beautiful stories about the angels of death. I love the one where the angel like sees someone who's just brokenhearted. The world has been difficult. You know, the story is that she's lost several children and several husbands. Uh, she's still young, but she's sitting by the side of the road in the desert. It's like, I can't do this anymore. And the angel looks at her with compassion and holds his hand like this and comes closer to her. And there's like a magnetic lines on his hands. Like uh, it draws the filings from her body into his hand and it takes the energy and just lets her go softly. She's not afraid. It's like, okay, it's time. I'm ready. You know, that an angel would reach his hand out, you know, not with a knife and go whack, but like, I'll just take you now. You know, uh, the stories of, um, I think it was when Moses died, um, the story that the angel came to him and uh, he said, who are you? And he said, I'm the angel of death. And he just kind of sighs and goes, oh, I've been waiting for you. And then he dies. You know, it's just, there's some really sweet pictures of angels holding children in their arms where the children couldn't survive and they just passed and the angel carries them up to heaven. Beautiful images. Night with her train of stars. Yes. Yes. Night with her train of stars. I think the pictures in that book are fabulous. I spent a long time searching around to try to find pictures that were not your average, you know. So that Night with Our Train of Stars is one of my favorites. And another one is, there's a picture of Jesus laying down in the desert. He's lying down on this, on the grass, or maybe even inside his his tomb, and darkness surrounds him. And yet you see these flames of light above the heads of the angels, and they're reaching out to touch him and give him life and light again. It's just the most beautiful, beautiful picture. And I love that picture. And some of them were done by people who are friends of mine, who were visited by angels. And they said, I saw them and I drew them. Like Christina Ellis had these two beautiful angelic archetypes uh, that were standing around the tree of life. So you can see this kind of like a dead tree, but you can see how the angels have wrapped themselves around this tree. It is gorgeous picture. Mm -hmm. gorgeous picture. Well, I think it's kind of cool the way that the angels continue to speak to us through art. You know, it's not just pictures of, you know, dead painters that have interesting images of angels. They're still coming. And I think that that, that is really, I just feel so blessed to have that in there. Do you consider angels to be not only extraterrestrial, but perhaps extra dimensional and maybe even sometimes what people may at times refer to as an alien? In my understanding, I would say an alien is anything that we are not uh, familiar with on a daily basis. Um, you know, <clears throat> we call people from other countries aliens. So the answer is, yeah, they're alien. Um, they are interdimensional. They are uh, beyond extraterrestrial. Uh, so they exist on this plane and they exist in other planes. Do they come from other planets? Now, some religions relate different uh, divine beings, angelic beings, to other planets um, and saying, you know, that they come from there. I, personally, I don't know about that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Going back to the astrology example earlier, 
Uh, it's, I think you alluded to in your book that it's possible that maybe even angels govern over the energy of the various planets and influences we have throughout our lives from that perspective as well. I think so too. I think certain angels rule certain planets. And I mean, we even have that song, Earth Angel, Earth Angel, you know. <laughs> so we certainly believe that they're connected to uh, our planet. Gosh, you know, if we had an angel that was watching over planet Earth right now, um, I would invoke the angel Peniel. Peniel is the angel that saves us from our own disastrous thinking and desires. We need that That's now. who we need. <laughs> yeah, more than ever. By the way, Peniel, Peniel is the angel that stood with Jacob on the cliff and wrestled with him. And it was his own egoic understanding of life that he was wrestling with. For those who may not be familiar with that story, could you share a little more about that? He thought he was a big dog and um, he stole his brother's wife. He stole his brother's property, sheep, cattle, so on, by tricking his blind father into thinking he was the other brother. He took his brother's land and finally his brother comes after him and uh, is going to fight him. And so he sends, he stands on the edge of this cliff. He, he, um, the same place where he had slept and dreamed of the ladder of angels the time before, uh, he sends his wife away because he knows he's going to, you know, kind of lose. So um, he he stays there and this angel appears and um, he tries to like fight the angel and push him off the cliff and the angel won't go. And they just struggle and struggle and struggle. And he's really strong. And even the angel says, you have to let me go. Let me go. And he goes, uh, he says, no, the angel said no. And then the angel said, uh, what is your name? And, and he won't tell him. And he said, he gives him a new name, basically. Um, and it turns out that the angel is Peniel, is the example of his, he's wrestling with his own egoic self, is basically what he's wrestling with. And the angel gives him a new name and says, from now on, you're going to be Israel. And he 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 hits him on the thigh and causes a, a, a you know a wound, and then he disappears so he can go and sing the sun up to being because he didn't want to be late for his other job. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's the story in a short. But um, yeah, I like I like Peniel. I like the idea of wrestling with our own egoic, you know, uh, misunderstanding that uh, God gave us the earth to do with what we will. That's not what he said. You know, he gave us the earth to take care of. He didn't give it to us to make a mess of it. And so that's basically an ego misunderstanding. It seems there are times that angels can assist us and other times that maybe we, in our own egoic selves or... For certain reasons, we want the angels to protect or rescue us when maybe there are other lessons we're meant to learn. Yes, yes. Which is why you can't boss an angel around. The angel's going to do what God has told the angel to do, not what you have told the angel to do. But we can invoke angels or we can invoke assistance and, and, and there may be a probability of help <laughs> that may come on its way. Yes, yes, we can invoke angels. And that is usually best done when you say your prayer and end it with, not my will, but thine. Then you're saying, okay, if this is not in my good interest, then don't help me out with it. Because if there's this or something better, basically. And if there's a something better, yeah, I'll take that. What are other ways that we can connect with angels? Well, there are other ways we can connect with angels. For example, um, I'm a ordained metaphysical minister. And whenever I <clears throat> do a service, I invoke the angels in all the directions and above and below. And so I'm having divine assistance for whatever I'm doing. 
that's also something that the the um, Buddhists and the um, Hindus do, where they invoke the devas of the direction, the spirit of the place, if you will. Um, and so I think that that's always a good thing to do, to recognize. <clears throat> Let me just give you an example. When I'm starting a ceremony, I'll invoke the angel Raphael in the east, because that's where the sun comes in, and that's the place of beginnings. And so I'll talk about that. And then we'll make a circle and move over toward the south, where Michael stands. And I'll invite Michael and ask Michael to come in and... Um, give us strength, uh, help us to uh, stay on task, understand the messages, and protect us from any outside influences. I'll go to the West, which is where the angel Gabriel is. And Gabriel is one of those archangels that I ask for assistance with uh, concluding, because a lot of times when we are invoking something like, you know, give me the opportunity to do this, Sometimes we have to let something go, you know, and so um, we invoke Gabriel to do that. We invoke Uriel, who is the angel that stands in the north closest to God. That angel does, um, that angel does his magic by delivering our prayers to God and for anything that is needed on a permanent basis. You know, the ancestors are in that direction. Okay, and then we will also, sometimes I will go back around and invoke the Egyptian deities, Isis and Sekhmet and um, Nephthys and Neith in those directions. So those are energies of protection during the circle. And when you're done, you have to break the circle and thank them for their attendance. Uh, now, has someone ever said, have you ever noticed if they didn't show up? <laughs> it's like, no, I think they always show up when I invite them to enter into a sacred place where I pray and to bless the place. People frequently talk about having guardian angels. Have you found that to be a theme across cultures and traditions? Yes, I I did. And I think we, we each have a guardian angel. There are stories that when we pass into spirit, our guardian angel goes with us and, and walks with us into heaven. Sometimes even stays there. Let's hope it's heaven. Sometimes even stays there. You know, there are other stories where the guardian angel is called the Ishta Devata. It's like your personal deva. Okay, that's in the Eastern tradition. And that's kind of like Isis who comes for me. She's my Ishta Devata. She is always with me. So... Coming full circle with our conversation here today, Isis came to you during an ice storm and is your personal Ishta Devata. What have you discovered as far as your understanding of referring to her as God's wife? <laughs> My understanding is that she is. <laughs> she, she is the embodiment of, many times I'll say she's what, we often attribute to uh, Mary, Jesus's mother, okay? She is the embodiment of compassion. She is the embodiment of um, community spirit. She teaches us. She's the great teacher, and she teaches us what we need to know. She is the one to invoke, um, how shall I say, when you're, when you're doing magical things. When you are working with that, that's a whole other conversation. But she is, yeah, she works with magic. And um, she's the goddess of magic. She's the, the high priestess of the tarot card. <laughs> and I think that uh, working with her has taught me a lot about uh, the veils that the divine uses um, because she... She, their stories when she and Ra share the same qualities, and so it's the male female, you know. Um, and I identify with her as the divine feminine, yeah. Normandy, you've taught us so much here today. Is there anything else you want to share about global angelic spirituality today? 
Okay, I would hope that people would understand that um, the angels are not uh, imaginary, but they are invoked through the images and the feeling of divinity to come into our lives. It is not necessarily playful, but it is joyful. Normandy, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for enlightening all of us about the sacred traditions of angels that connect all of us together around the globe. Thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you, Emmy. It was great to be here. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? On June 1st, we've just released issue number two of the New Thinking Aloud quarterly magazine. You can download a free copy at the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website, newthinkingaloud.org.